0: we've we've had a bit of a recap we've asked what now 1 Samuel 16 is the what now for those of you who are visual learners there'll be some pictures up on the screen you can follow that as well if uh, if that will be good for you 1 Samuel chapter 16 the lord said to samuel How long will you mourn for Saul, since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. But Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears about it, he will kill me. The Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. and had him pass in front of Samuel But Samuel said The Lord has not chosen this one either Jesse then had Sharma pass by But Samuel said Nor has the Lord chosen this one Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel But Samuel said to him The Lord has not chosen these So he asked Jesse Are these all the sons you have? There is still the youngest Jesse answered He's tending the sheep Samuel said send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives So he sent for him and had him brought in He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features Then the Lord said rise and anoint him This is the one So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers And from that day on the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David Samuel then went to Ramah now the spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord tormented him. Saul's attendants said to him, See, an evil spirit from God is tormenting you. Let our Lord command his servants here to search for someone who can play the lyre. He will play when the evil spirit from God comes on you, and you will feel better. So Saul said to his attendants, Find someone who plays well, and bring him to me. One of the servants answered, I have seen a son of Jesse of Bethlehem, who knows how to play the lyre. He is a brave man and a warrior. He speaks well and is a fine-looking man, and the Lord is with him. Then Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, Send me your son David, who is with the sheep. So Jesse took a donkey loaded with bread, a skin of wine, and a young goat, and sent them with his son David to Saul. David came to Saul and entered his service. Saul liked him very much and David became one of his armor-bearers. Then Saul sent word to Jesse, saying, Allow David to remain in my service, for I am pleased with him. Whenever the Spirit from God came on Saul, David would take up his lyre and play. Then relief would come to Saul. He would feel better, and the evil spirit would leave him.
1: Um, I don't know how many um, fans of Britain's Got Talent there are among you. Um, probably not many. i um, not really a fan myself. But um, occasionally there are great moments and um, great surprises. And if we're going to watch one of those now. It's one of the memorable ones, um, which I'm sure some of you have seen before. I never get bored of this, though. So. Um, can we have to, uh, the video the Hi. What's your name, darling? My name is Susan Boyle. Okay, uh, Susan, uh, where are you from? I am from Blackburn near Bathgate, West Lothian. It's a big town. It's a sort of collection of... It's a collection of... Uh, villages. I just to think there. And how old are you, Susan? I am 47. And that's just one side of me. Good could play it to the end, but uh, I think we get the, uh, the idea, don't we? Uh, it's a classic example of people judging um, someone by their appearance. Susan Boyle didn't look like what people imagined a professional singer should look like. And yet, yeah, when she opened her mouth, this beautiful voice came out. We're all guilty yeah, all the time, I think, of coming to quick conclusions about what people are like, maybe based on their appearance, maybe just from a brief encounter with them. But what none of us can see is what is on their heart in this series in 1 Samuel we've seen how the Jewish people wanted to, to follow the ways of the other nations and having their own king and although this was an implicit rejection of God as their king God said to Samuel give them what they want give them a king and Saul the, uh, the man who was made king was an impressive looking bloke the head taller, were are told, than anybody else. He was a giant of a man. But what was most important to God in the choice of a king was not his outward appearance, but it was his heart. And in that previous chapter we looked at a couple of weeks ago, we read about the failure of Saul as king. And it was quite a depressing reading, wasn't it? He failed through his disobedience, through his lack of trust in God's timing and in God's provision rather than wait for God he took things into his own hands he decided what he thought would please God rather than, than listening to God himself and so we had this terrible judgment on Saul's kingship from Samuel in verse 22 of chapter 15 where he said because you have rejected the word of the Lord he has rejected you as king now it broke um, Samuel's heart to see this happen And in verse 35 we we read that until the day he died, Samuel did not go to see Saul again, though he mourned for him. Now we're not told exactly why Samuel was mourning. Was it because the man he had anointed as king, the one he had mentored, had had failed? He invested so much time in him and now it seemed that all that had been wasted. Was it that he felt some sort of responsibility for that failure? That he hadn't done a good enough job? I'm sure it was partly personal. He was genuinely disappointed in him that the kingship that had started so well should end in this way. But I'm sure also he thought through the implications of this failure. He was thinking about Israel who'd asked for a king, they'd been given a king, and now that king had failed. What did the future look like for Israel? Would the nation collapse? Well, the Lord answers that question quite clearly in verse 1 of chapter 16 when he says to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king." God does not give up when people fail. The future of God's chosen nation does not depend on one man. Yes, Israel was disobedient to to want a human king in the first place, but God wasn't just going to say, well, I told you so, and leave them to it. He was going to pick up the pieces. He's chosen a new king. I think also we shouldn't be hard on Samuel. Samuel. I don't think this is a, look, stop moping around, Samuel, and get on and do what I tell you to. I think there is, as, as we said, a genuine sense of, of godly sorrow in this response over the spiritual state of Israel. And I think if we're honest, a lot of our sadness, a lot of our frustration, a lot of our discouragement is when things don't go our way. It's often about us, isn't it? As we sang in that song. But I wonder how often we mourn over the state of our country, over its leaders, its church. How often do we mourn over the, the sins of others and the lack of spiritual growth in Christians and the church? On Friday at the, um, the prayer meeting, on Friday at one, to which, by the way, you're all invited every week if you're around at that time, one o'clock on a Friday. We had a good time actually praying for Europe, praying for the continent of Europe. And actually when you look at the spiritual state of Europe, and we used the book Operation World to, to go through um, some things to pray for, it does make pretty sorry reading. We, we mourned, really, for, for Europe. But the great encouragement is that when things look like a disaster, God will still work his plans out. God is not constrained by human actions or inaction. When the leader of a church or or Christian organization fails, it's easy to think, well, that's the end for that church. How can it possibly come back from that? I remember the shock I felt when a pastor, um, who was part of the fraternal that I belonged to, um, announced uh, uh, one day that he was giving up his ministry. He was leaving his wife and children, renouncing his faith uh, to go and live with another man. How does the church come back from that, that the person who had been leading them had basically been living a lie for so many years? Well, the answer is that God is bigger than that. God will achieve his purposes. When the people first asked for a king, God said to Samuel, listen to them. Give them a king. And now he says in verse 1 here of chapter 16, I have chosen a king. In other words, I will provide. Well, let's come on to this new king. Who is it that God is going to choose? Well, it's a great story, this one, isn't it? Um, uh, God tells Samuel who the family is from whom he's going to choose a king. And Samuel's pretty scared. What if Saul founds out? He'll, he'll kill me. Literally, this is no joke. So God says, well, take a heifer with you. Um, and just say that you've come to, to make a sacrifice to the Lord invite the family to the sacrifice and then announce Well, oh, by the way I'm going to anoint a king from your family imagine how they would have received that, that news so Samuel turns up in Bethlehem and uh, another exciting little thing is that the elders of the town are scared themselves because they hear that Samuel is coming to town the spiritual leader of the nation they're thinking um, what have they done wrong is he coming to do some sort of uh, disciplinary hearing or maybe they heard about Saul and Samuel falling out. Oh, they didn't want to get caught up in the middle of it. If they receive Samuel, what will Saul think? And so they asked, do you come in peace? And to their relief, Samuel says, yes, in peace. I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. They breathe a sigh of relief. But the suspense continues, doesn't it? Because although they are relieved that they're not in trouble... They're still unaware of his real reason for coming to Bethlehem, this little outpost. They've no idea that he's come to anoint a king. Now, the other part of the suspense is that Samuel himself doesn't know exactly who this king is going to be. He's only been told that one of the songs' sons will be anointed king. So he's eyeing them up and he's thinking... Um, well my money's on that Eliab he looks uh, like a likely candidate pretty impressive, handsome, physically strong good stature who does he remind him of? well think back to Saul this is how Saul is described back in chapter 9 as handsome a young man as could be found anywhere in Israel and he was a head taller than anyone else and then we get this great verse don't we Which is a real put down to Samuel and to all of us because we so often judge by the wrong criteria. Have a look at verse 7 of chapter 16. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart we'll come back to what that means in a minute but let's just continue with the story first of all because we have this hilarious situation where where Jesse calls each of his sons he introduces them to Samuel and to each one Samuel says no the Lord hasn't chosen this one next one comes along no nor that one next one comes along by this stage they're getting it's got to be one of these surely seven sons pass by still none of them is the right son Somebody's beginning to be saying well hang on a minute I'm sure he told me he was one of these sons so he says well have you got any more sons that you, you know, haven't told us about and so Jesse answers well they're still the youngest he's tending the sheep didn't even think it was worth inviting him along after all the seven sons before him Surely it's has got to be one of those and somebody's got to look after the sheep anyway well Samuel says send for him we will not sit down until he arrives there's no sacrificial meal until this is done. And so we're told, so he sent for him, had him brought in. He was glowing with health, had a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. God had said to Samuel back in verse 3, you are to anoint for me the one I indicate. Now he says, this is the one. Well, I think it's great, isn't it, that just, not just in this episode, but, but God time after time surprises us. We think we know what we're doing, but he uses the most unlikely of people to achieve his purposes. So going back to verse seven though, what does this mean? That people look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Well firstly what it doesn't mean is that being strong, handsome and good looking rules you out of being chosen by God to fulfill his plans. Not that many of us need to worry about that. No, because as we saw David himself was also very healthy, he was uh, handsome and as we will find out in a minute he, will, he was strong. So external appearance neither qualifies nor disqualifies you, it doesn't actually matter. What it also doesn't mean is that David was sinless. As we will see as we read on about his life, um, he led a far from blameless life. He committed adultery, he committed murder, he failed to, to discipline his, his family, he ignored joab 's advice and took a national census. So what was it about David that made the Lord choose him? Well, if we were to turn to the book of Acts in the New Testament, we read there in chapter thirteen, in the middle of Paul 's sermon. To the Jews in Pisidian Antioch, he says this, has given the history of Israel. He says, after removing Saul, God made David their king. God testified concerning him, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. He was a man after God's own heart. Now, what does that mean exactly? Well, I think four things I just want to bring before you this evening. First of all, one of those things is faith. David had absolute faith in God. And we'll see that next week when we come up against uh, Goliath, um, trusting completely in the strength of God and not not in himself. He was obedient. He would do everything that God wants him to do. Uh, That means he has a complete love for God's word, for his commands. And we see that in the Psalms, the way God delights in God's law. He meditates on God's law. Gratitude. David was full of gratitude to God. Again in the Psalms, he talks about praising God with, with thanksgiving, proclaiming all of God's wonderful deeds. And finally, repentance. As we said, he was not sinless by any means, but he was truly repentant. When he was confronted with his sin about Bathsheba, he said, I have sinned. In Psalm 51, we read, he says, to have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, cleanse me from my sin.'" Now, when we seek to apply this to ourselves, there's a couple of obvious applications to take away. First of those is obviously we don't judge people by appearance. Secondly, we seek to be men and women after God's own heart. We seek to demonstrate those four aspects of uh, what it means to be men and women after God's own heart. Faith, obedience, gratitude, repentance. But I guess the big question is, what does that faith look like? Well, that faith is trusting in God when it looks pretty unbelievable. When we think of the unlikely choice of David, it reminds us of another unlikely choice, doesn't it? Jesus, the suffering servant. What does it say in Isaiah about him? Let me read it to you. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind. A man of suffering and familiar with pain. When Jesus came to this earth, when he fulfilled the plan that uh, the father had for him, as he hung on the cross and people came and mocked him, they said he saved others, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we will believe him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the son of God. They couldn't accept the idea of a king being crucified. They didn't understand the idea of a servant king. To be a man after God's own heart is to trust in his choice of a king. We're not talking about David here, we're talking about Jesus. Do we trust in him? Well, coming back to the story, what happens in verse 13 when Samuel anoints David? Is it just a sort of ritual? It certainly doesn't have all the pomp and the pageantry of a, of a coronation that we would have in this country. Well, the most significant thing is not what Samuel does, the pouring of oil onto the head of, of David, because that is symbolic of what the Lord does. He anoints David with the Holy Spirit, and from that day we're told on in the we're told in verse 13. From that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. And his job having been done, Samuel then went to Ramah. Now, while all this is uh, playing out, we switch scenes to uh, to Saul who so at this stage knows nothing of what's been going on and we're told that as the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David it departed from Saul and instead an evil spirit tormented him but here comes another surprise it's not just an evil spirit but an evil spirit from the Lord now, how can an evil spirit come from God you might ask well the answer is it's not an evil spirit in the sense of morally evil after all God can do anything that is, is morally against his, his character but this word here translated evil can also refer to something that brings pain or distress so as it says in the footnote it's a harmful spirit and that does make sense if we believe that God is all sovereign that he controls all things even if those things are harmful The fascinating thing is the following sequence of events because uh, what Saul's attendance suggests to make Saul feel better when he's being tormented is music, Saul tells him. Well, find me a good musician. Go throughout the land and find me the best musician. And who's the person of all the people the servants come up with? It's David, the one on whom the spirit now rests. The one who unbeknown to Saul has been anointed king. How does the servant describe him? A son of Jesse of Bethlehem, who knows how to play the lyre. He's a brave man, a warrior. He speaks well, and is a fine-looking man. And the Lord is with him. So Saul sends his messengers to Jesse and says, Send me your son, David, who is with the sheep. This is the first time we've heard his name, David. Before he was just the youngest son. Now he's been told to come. Jesse does as his king asks him. He sends David with some provisions to the king. And it doesn't take long for David to make a good impression. We're told Saul liked him very much. He wasn't just a musician. He was also one of um, his armor bearers. And he's so pleased with David that he sends word to Jesse saying, Allow David to remain in my service for I am pleased with him. Do you see all the irony going on in this, this whole incident? You've got the rejected king, the one from whom the spirit has departed, and he seeks relief from the newly anointed king, the one on whom the spirit now rests. David is the Lord's choice, and he's also Saul's choice. It's the chosen king who keeps the rejected king from falling apart and what we're going to find surprising over the the coming weeks though is what happens next because it would be easy to assume wouldn't it that now that David has been anointed with the spirit that everything will go fine for him now it's all plain sailing but it won't be long before he's hated by Saul before he's hunted before he's betrayed before he's fleeing for his life hiding in caves it's the start of a tough life it's like the Spirit comes and the trouble starts. And yet David is protected and in God's timing assumes the throne. And if we think of Jesus, it's exactly the same, isn't it? What happened at his baptism? The Spirit came on him as a dove and a voice from heaven was heard saying, you are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. And then what? What? The Spirit sent him out into the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights where he was tempted, where he was with the wild animals. When we become Christians, we receive the Holy Spirit. He is a gift, but then often the trouble comes, isn't it? The pressures come. We come into conflict with those who've not submitted to Jesus as their King. There is a spiritual battle going on in our lives. But let me give you a quote from Dale Ralph Davis. He says, That conflict is not a sign of our sin, but a mark of our sonship. That we are not under God's displeasure, but his discipline. The wilderness is not a sign of the spirit's absence, but a scene of his presence. Well, let me sum up as we come to take the Lord's Supper together. God has chosen his anointed one. David is a man after God's own heart. He's faithful, he's obedient, he's grateful, he's repentant. But however much he is a successful king, he is still a man. And he points to the true anointed king, the one who will also come from Bethlehem. The one who will also be an unlikely choice by human standards, who will also be anointed with the Holy Spirit. One whose kingship will not be limited by his time on this earth, but whose kingship is eternal. Jesus Christ. And the question is, will we be those who are faithful, obedient, grateful and repentant towards him? Well, we have an opportunity now to express our love for him as we take communion together. But before we do, let's just take a moment to examine our own hearts. Are we men and women after God's own hearts? Let's look at where we have failed and seek his forgiveness. And then we'll say in a minute um, a prayer of confession. It's the moment of quiet. Let say in our hearts this prayer of confession, the prayer of David, as he asks for God's forgiveness and God's mercy. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me.